0: This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Um, my name is Allie Griffith. For those of you who don't know me, I go to Northwestern. Um, I'll be a senior there and I'm studying math education. Um, so before we jump in, um, the topic, the topic is relational evangelism. I believe we're on page 41, if you want to jump there. Um, but I just wanted to introduce you to me a little bit more. So next slide. Um, fun fact about me is I am an aunt. Um, so <laughs> that is Chloe. She is 13 years old. She's like three inches taller than me right now. Crazy. Um, obsessed with TikTok. That's Nolan. He's nine. I'm obsessed with Fortnite, video games, and sleeping. And then that's Santiago. He is one and a half, um, and a fun fact about him is he is half American and half Venezuelan, and so I get the pleasure to speak Spanish to him, and um, I just love these guys, and they just mean a lot to me. So, if you get anything away from today, it's this. Relational evangelism means us living relationally, asking reflective questions, offering Christ-focused answers, and trusting that the gospel will compel people. Then I'll give you guys a second to write that down. You can go back. Um, So last week, Ethan went through the diagrams. And the purpose of the diagrams was to say how do we evangelize to non-believers who know this Christian lingo, who have a religious foundation, how do we evangelize to them? This week, we're doing how do you evangelize to non-believers who have no religious foundation, do not know Christian lingo. So the outline for today is attention, attraction, and conviction. And I'm going to pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. Um, I just thank you for Surfside allowing us the space to be here, Lord God. And um, I just thank you that everyone is here in this room for a purpose. And um, I just pray that you speak through me right now, um, calm my nerves and my stress, and let peace just flow through my body, Lord God. And um, I just pray that the words that are not helpful, that they would just be gone. And I pray that you speak through me and let words um, stick and be helpful and let you be honored and glorified in everything that we do today. Amen. So my first point is attention. And under every point, there's like a main question that we're going to try to get at. And this one is, how do we get people to pay attention to the gospel when they find it irrelevant? So for people who don't even want to hear the gospel, who shut out against God, who have no basis of what Christian lingo is, how do you evangelize to them? And Tim Keller says that the way that we evangelize to them is through relationships. Tim Keller states, That people paid attention to the gospel because someone they knew well, worked with, and perhaps loved spoke to them about it. And like I talked about my um, nieces and nephews earlier, I get so passionate about talking about them because I love them and I care for them. And then I just want to talk to everyone about them. That should be similar with the gospel. We should love the gospel so much and be passionate about it that we should want to share it within every single relationship that we're in. And Jesus was the perfect example of what ministry and friendships were like on earth. And I kind of have a long quote, um, but I think it just explains it really well. It says, Jesus was present. He spent time with his friends and disciples during his time living and walking among us on the earth. He spent time with them and grew to know and understand them. He walked alongside them in ministry. He shared meals with those he was closest to and enjoyed their fellowship. Jesus was intentional with his presence, which grew trust and sincerity among his friends. He put in the effort to know them and care for them. And imagine what this is like with Jesus' ministry, but imagine what it can be like if we act this out in our ministry. And Jesus prioritizes relationships, especially the relationships that you see within the 12 disciples. And it took time. He lived life with them. He spent time with them. He shared meals with them. And if you guys remember back to um, Jeremiah's talk on race, He did the analogy of a crock pot versus a microwave. And Jeremiah argued that race is like a crock pot. I'm also going to argue that relationships is also like a crock pot. They're not like a microwave where you can just stick in and expect it to be done right away. They're like a crock pot where it takes time to kind of marinate and wrestle and to then develop into something really beautiful. And so it's not going to happen overnight. And it can be tricky to wrestle with that. Um, But relationships are something that are worth having. So kind of transitioning into our next point. When you're in relationships, you should care about them enough that you want to ask questions about their life. You want to ask what they're passionate about. You want to ask them who they are and what came to them. And you should love them enough and care for them enough that you have the urgency to want to share the gospel with them. Our next point is attraction. How can non-Christians recognize they have a problem that requires salvation? In this world, there's always going to feel like something is wrong, something is missing, something is empty within culture. But what we can do as people who believe in Christ and not um, the ways of culture, we can help them recognize that the problems that they're having, the longings that they're having can be found in Christ. And the way that we do this is through asking really good questions. When we have relationships with people, when we ask them questions about them, we learn their thought processes and we learn their understandings to their answers. And then we can ask reflective follow-up questions to know more about what they just said. And I have an example of this. Brent talked about Ellie Van Z and the Van Zees last week. Um, and Ellie Van Z is really important in my life, um, and I care a lot about her, and she would ask me how I'm doing, and my standard answer is good. No matter if I'm good or not good, it's good. And um, we're working on that. But um, then she would ask a follow-up question because she would know that I would just answer with good. She wanted to ask a follow-up question because she actually wanted to know my heart. She wanted to know why I said good. And she wanted to understand what was going on in my soul. And so she would ask the question, why are you good? And this question changed the way I think about relationships, about emotions, about asking questions to other people. And so I now, when she says, why are you good? I'm like, oh, here's everything that's great that's happened today. This is why I'm good. And she learns about that. Or on the opposite end, I, I say, I don't know why I'm good. Can we have a conversation about it? And so there's just more that she learns about me than just that I'm good. And I think besides um, Ellie Van Zee, picturing the gospel in this. It actually is in the gospels. Um, and so in Luke 18, 18 through 19, it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So the ruler asked Jesus a question, and Jesus immediately followed it up with a follow up question because he wanted to know why he said good. And so the next quote, I think, demonstrates this really well of how, in culture, how we ask questions versus how Jesus asks questions. It says, we ask questions for information. Jesus asks questions to provoke transformation. We ask questions for answers. Jesus asks questions for awareness. Jesus asks questions to confront the listener with their own thought process, preconceptions, assumptions, and beliefs. He wants us to reckon with our own concept of reality and examine it in light of what God has to say. In order for us to do this, we have to reckon with what we actually think. If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we have to learn to ask questions the way Jesus does, to reveal hearts, to open up hidden reality for others. and. When we ask questions, we can sometimes just learn the standard answer, um, but it's about asking the follow-up questions where you actually get to know their heart. Um, and you can ask questions in a way that asks them, like, what are they longing for? What are they hoping in? Um, and you can learn about that, and you can learn ultimately what they're trying to find their fulfillment in. And I think we see this within culture today. We see how people are trying to find their fulfillment in things, and it's just not working. So George is going to play a video for us real quick. There's um, this Christian song. It's You're the Only One by Chris Ranzima. And there's a couple lyrics in the song. It says, though the earth may try to satisfy my heart, you're the only one that fills this up. And I just think if Jenny Lynn had the gospel and she had Christ, she would realize that there's more than the fulfillment that she's trying to seek in the world. If we focus on the world, the flesh, and the devil, it will leave us feeling something's missing, wrong, off-putting, empty, not satisfying, and not fulfilling. But we should look at what the gospel and what Christ has to say about these things in the world, because we are not made for this world. We should have confidence in how Christ fulfills us. And although the earth and the world may be trying to satisfy our hearts, in Christ we have fulfillment, life, and peace. And a verse that goes with this um, that we studied um, in my D group last semester was Romans 8, 5 through 7. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When you set your mind on Christ, you gain life and peace. Through our relationships, we can ask good questions that help us to see what they're longing for and what they're searching for. And after that, we can get to a point where we can ask questions and follow-up questions to tee up the gospel. And then that is able to show us um, just more of what they're longing for and what they're trying to find fulfillment in. And then we can share what our hope is found in. So conviction. How do we explain the gospel in a way that compels our friends to look to Christ for answers to our life questions? We just teed up the gospel. How do we now explain the gospel in a way that directly meets what they're longing for and what they're looking for? John 6, 66 through 69 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believed him, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even Simon Simon Peter saw that Jesus had the words of eternal life, that only to him will he find fulfillment. And we should love our friends enough within this relationship to want them to have that same hope in eternal life as we do. And we should try to point them to what Christ has to offer and not what the world has to offer, because Christ has and is everything that we need. This next quote, I think, sums up um, what we're talking about. It says, gospel-centered intentionality means us encouraging our friends to look at the greatest truth, Words of our own, are only temporarily helpful for our friends. As we aim to care for them and build them up, the most powerful and long lasting words we possess are found in God's word. His word offers far more to our friends than we could ever dream up or think of. And so once we get to finding out what they're longing for and what they're hoping for and we trust in Jesus, Um, We can see the bad news that comes out of their life, what they're longing for, what they're looking for. This is ultimately bad news because they're not looking for Christ. And we can then present them with the good news of what the gospel says and how the gospel would directly go at what they're longing for and what they're looking for. Um, And there's just a couple examples of what people may say. So on the bad news, you can just keep clicking. Um, The bad news is you're trying to save yourself, but you can't. But the gospel would say you're safe through Jesus, now your own efforts. The bad news would say you want to be free, but you aren't. And the good news would say Jesus gave up power and took the penalty of God's wrath so we can be free. The bad news would say identities you seek are fragile and leaving you empty. The good news would say our identities are in Christ and he fills us up. The bad news would say that deep satisfaction isn't found in the world. But the good news would say we have promise of satisfaction in Jesus Christ and eternal life. And so once we get to the point where we share the good news with them, what do we do after that? Sometimes it can kind of feel like, okay, I just like gave them the gospel, now what? And so I think our next verse, which we'll study soon, is in Philippians. It's Philippians 3, 3 through 8. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, in glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And through verse 3 through verse 6, you kind of see this resonate of if Paul had everything, and he did, if he had everything that he put confidence in the flesh in, this is what it would be. However, there's this switch that goes from verse 6 to verse 7 with the but. He says, but I gain everything in Christ and I lose all the confidence that I had in the flesh because knowing Christ is so much better than everything else I could have in the flesh. Paul saw Jesus as a better alternative to the identities that he was seeking. And what happens between verse 6? In verse seven, I would argue, is the act of the Holy Spirit working in his life to convict him that Jesus is so much better. So what we can do for the people who we are sharing the gospel with is we can have faith and trust that Christ is better than the world, and we can pray for them that the Holy Spirit would be working in their lives and that they would have open hearts to hear how the gospel is better alternative. In conclusion, when we have relationships with people, when we ask them follow-up questions, we can point the questions in a way that helps us to see the holes in how they're living. We can help them to recognize the longings and the needs that they have in their life. And based on this, we can share the gospel in a way that offers Jesus as a better alternative to their longings and needs. We can trust and pray that the Holy Spirit will be working in their lives to convict them of this truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for who you are, Lord God. And I just thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, Lord God, that we no longer have this bad news um, of this flesh that leads us to death, Lord God, but we have this good news that leads to life and peace in you, Lord God. Um, And I just pray that as we're doing relational evangelism, um, that you just use us and you speak through us, Lord God. I pray that you help us to ask good questions um, that ultimately are able to glorify you in everything that we do, Lord God. Um, and I just pray that you'll be honored. Um, and I'm just excited to see um, what happens from the people in this room and what this will look like. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.